James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1. Familiar verses. James chapter 1. We're going to at our sixth law this morning. And let me just give you our sixth law. We'll recap on them all again another time. But today I just want to go straight into it. Our sixth law is this. There is no growth without trials. Now, you and I would both love it if we could come to Christ, get saved... And sail along on a nice easy plane with no problems and no difficulties in our lives. And sometimes we think that's what's going to happen. Uh, Sometimes whoever delivered the gospel to us tells us that's what's going to happen. You know, as soon as you get saved, all your problems go away and there are no more problems. But that's just not the truth. And the Bible never promises that. In some senses, after you get saved, a whole different kind of problem comes into your life. What you've got is you've got God stepping into your life and God responding to you and dealing with you and changing you. So difficulties come and problems come and, you know, all kinds of issues. You know, um, marriage problems come, children problems come, job problems come, financial problems come, health problems come, all kinds of problems in our lives. We can get weary of the problems. We can just get weary of the fact that we're facing all these difficulties over and over and over again, and we can get worn down, worn down with it. Now, the, the, the Bible has help for us in this. We need to first of all understand it's the plan. It's not just by accident. It's not just God looking down and kind of missing it with you for a few minutes. It's the plan. The plan is for God to bring trials and difficulties into your life. You know, the plan is that you're never going to get beyond trials and difficulties. You say, oh man, I I didn't want to hear that. Pastor, I could have lived all week without hearing that. I I would have liked a different message this morning than this one. Well, no, the reality is whether I say it to you or not, it's going to happen. But the thing about it is if we say it and then look at the biblical reasons behind it and embrace it, it changes the whole thing for us. It changes it all and turns it all around for us, right? <clears throat> so here's our verses. <clears throat> the sixth law, there's no growth without trials. And our verse, James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now if you look at the, uh, the last verse we read there, there's something hopeful in it, isn't it? <clears throat> It's not just God saying to you, look, just suck it up. Just get on with it. There's going to be trouble. And just get on with it. No, he's saying, count it all joy because there's maturity. That that, That the trials and the difficulties are doing a work that couldn't be done otherwise. So God's got a plan in the trials and difficulties in your life. And it's a good plan. And he loves you. And you know what? He can work it out. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word today? Help us, Lord, to let let your word find its place in our hearts. And, Lord, that we might accept what you're doing and understand that you have a plan that's far beyond anything we can think, hope, or imagine. And, Lord, that is good and blessed and helpful to us. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, I want to give you four principles that are going to help you uh, think clearly about your trials. First of all, because we live in a fallen world, bad things happen to all of us. Okay, now, you knew that, didn't you? 
Uh, we live in a fallen world, and bad things happen to all of us, and th- that's just the way it is. It's a fallen world. We, can, we, we could philosophize this morning about why bad things happen, but we're not about that this morning. What we're doing is we're dealing with the reality of bad things happen to all of us because we live in a fallen world. <clears throat> we can't get out of that. Secondly, we have no control over many things that happen to us or to those around us. Now, Wednesday night, we've been going through a study, uh, Quieting a Noisy Soul. And one of the problems with a noisy soul is just this. We want to control life. You want to hold life and control life. And when life isn't controllable, we get frustrated. We get scared. We get fearful because the truth is we can't control life, though. So, you know, we can't control the many things that are going to happen to us. Now, you can go one of two ways with that. You can go into a panic where you want to hide from the world and, you know, you want to lock yourself off in your bedroom and not come out because uh, it's scary out there. Or, Or you can face the issue square on and deal with it biblically and find help in it. Number three. Uh, we don't have complete control over, we do have complete control over how we respond. But we don't have control over the troubles, but we do have complete control over how we respond. Now, that's a major issue for us spirit, spiritually, how we respond to the difficulties and problems in our lives. A major issue. You know, we don't have control over what's going to happen. Bad stuff is going to happen. We don't have control over all the things that are going to happen. But we do have complete control over how we respond. And our response to our trials largely determines our spiritual growth or lack thereof. Your response to your trials largely determines your spiritual growth or lack thereof. Now, let me explain that to you. Right? Let, let, let me help you with that. You're familiar with the story about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has a thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul, Paul is a healer. Paul, is, <clears throat> Paul has got a ministry. He's healed people. He's brought people back from the dead. Uh, God, through him, has done marvelous things. Right? And Paul has a problem that's hindering him in his work, and so he asks the Lord three times to take it away. And he's kind of surprised that he has to ask three times, because typically he doesn't have to ask three times. He asks God for something, and God does it. And, um, you know, uh, it's amazing. So he's got this problem, for, and he asks God three times to take it away. <clears throat> and God's response to him is, no. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, and we know how Paul responded. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. But we'll say, just just for a moment, we'll imagine that Paul responded like this. That's not fair. I've healed so many people. I've taken care of so many people. God, I'm doing your work. I've got this problem, this issue, this difficulty, and you won't take it away from me? That is just not fair, God. That is just not fair. I, I, I really don't see how you can actually stand on that ground, God, because it's just not fair. Do you know what? We'd never have heard of the Apostle Paul. We would, if, if that was the kind of man he was, we would never have heard of the Apostle Paul. God couldn't have used that. Now, you know, that's a small issue in his life that's very instructive to our lives. But you know what? I think we often respond that way. I think we often respond by taking the hump, by <clears throat> getting bent out of shape with God, by thinking it's not fair, by why me, and all those things that go through our mind, and we respond wrongly. Remember Paul's response? Paul's response was an instant and immediate, and he turned it around completely, and effectively he said, oh, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to glory in my infirmities. I'm going to rejoice in them. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Listen, I didn't understand, but now that I understand, 
I'm going to respond to my troubles so much differently. Now, I think it would help us to actually learn to respond like that. Now, your flesh doesn't respond like that. Your flesh doesn't like hard times. Your flesh doesn't like difficulties. Your flesh doesn't like problems. Your flesh wants to respond to hard times by saying, oh, no, that's not fair. But if we would get over that, <clears throat> read this this week, and um, <clears throat> it is really powerful, top little phrase there. It says, when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. When hard times come, be a student, not a victim. Learn from them. What did Paul do? He had hard times. He had a difficulty. And it was made more difficult by the fact that God said, I'm not going to take it away. <clears throat> and, um, but what he did was he learned from it. Oh, well, if that's the case then. And he changed his attitude and walked a different way in the light of the fact that God had brought troubles into his life. Now, God's going to bring troubles into your life, life whether you like it or not. And he's going to bring troubles into your life for a good reason and for a good purpose. It would really help us if we would learn to be students, not victims. I'm not a victim. I'll never be a victim. I have the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in my life. I'm never going to be a victim. <clears throat> and I've got, to, I've got to learn from the troubles, not just let the troubles overwhelm me and think I can't handle this. You know what? If I couldn't handle this, God wouldn't let it happen. And the same is true. You say, well, hang on a minute, but I've got three or four things going on in my life that are really hard right now. Do you think God missed it? Do you honestly think that God looks down on you and thinks, I don't know how you fell through the cracks. I don't know what happened that I missed you. Or do you think that God knows exactly what's going on in your life and he has a purpose for it for you? You say, but it's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else that's doing wrong. It may well be, but you know what? God is in charge of everything. And even the somebody else who's doing you wrong, God's in charge of that. It couldn't be happening if he didn't allow it to happen. So we need to, understand, we need to be students. We need to learn. All right. <clears throat> Back to our text, though, uh, <clears throat> in James. It says, my brethren, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, diverse there means um, <clears throat> multicolored or variegated. The list is endless. You know, we could go through this room and we could ask everybody what trial you're going through. What's the difficulty in your life? What's the greatest difficulty in your life? And now, we would probably have some that would duplicate. But you know what? We would be amazed at the number of difficulties that are in this room. We would be amazed at the way there are just problems and difficulties that are personally fashioned for you. Jimberg calls it design. Our, uh, we have designer lusts, and therefore there's designer temptations for us. There's designer trials. God has designed things that are going to be for you. Uh, he has designed. Now you may think, well, my problem is much worse than anybody else's problem. Let me tell you, it's not. It's perfectly designed for you. And it, listen, it, it can come in any array of things. It can affect you in your relationships. It can affect you in your finances. It can affect you in your health. It can affect you with the death of a loved one. And listen, it goes on and on and on. There's all kinds of problems that, that can come into your life. So, so they, are, they are diverse. Right? <clears throat> They are multicolored, they are variegated, there's all kinds uh, of different problems. But <clears throat> the writer says to us, count it all joy. Now, <clears throat> maybe the all was just a typo. <clears throat> maybe it's not quite all. Maybe it's just count it joy. No, no typos in the Bible. It's counted 
all joy. Whatever problem is coming into your life, you're to count it all joy. Now you say, that's not natural. You're right, that's not natural. It's supernatural. And you've got to get off living life on a natural plane as a believer. Listen, there's a side of you that's a very natural human being, but the Holy Spirit's not natural. He's supernatural. And he dwells in you to lead you into a life that though you're a human being on terra firma, uh, you're going to live a supernatural life. And you've you, you, you got to rise up because so often Christians are dumbing it down. They are, they, are, they are down here, you know, I'm doing what I can. It's not about what you can do and it's not about what's, what's possible. It's about what God wants you to do because what God wants you to do, he makes possible in your life. One writer put it like this. He interprets it this way. He says, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Now that's a different mindset, isn't it? Welcome them as friends. This is my friend. Isn't that what Paul did? Isn't that what he said? Oh, well, that's the way. Then listen, you know what? I'm going to glory in my afflictions. I'm going to rejoice in them. I'm going to welcome the troubles as friends. Now, just that one thought, if you took that on board, that would save you from being a victim in your trials. That would save you from being a victim. Because you become a victim, you go, why me? This is not fair. I can't believe this is all coming down on me. I can't believe so much has happened to me. It's just not fair. You become a victim. But if instead of you looking at your problems and saying, oh, no, not me, instead of that, if you were to say, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, I'm going to reckon on this as being a friend because my Heavenly Father loves me. My Heavenly Father knows what's best in my life. And He's able to do it. So if He's brought this into my life, and I'm sure that He has because He's watching over me, you know what? I'm going to count this thing as a friend. Now, that is not going to mean that you're going to go around with a giddy smile on your face. That is not going to take all the pain out of the problem. But that is going to have you approaching the problem with a completely different attitude. God has something good for me in this. God wants to help me uh, in this. Uh, This trial uh, is a friend. Now, that doesn't happen naturally. We must choose to see trials from heaven's perspective. You see, if you live life like you're just a human being with a religion i.e. God is somewhere in the background in your life and you're going to live your life like that, you know and God gets imported from time to time when you need him and kind of kicked out again when you don't need him you're never going to understand these things because it's not natural for you to live with trials and to see them from heaven's perspective you need to live your life seeing it from heaven's perspective and the Christian life doesn't get good until you do you know, uh, the most pitiful people in the world are Christians who live on a carnal plane now, here's why I say that. If, if somebody's unsaved and they live in the world, well, they've got the joys of the world. Right? If somebody's saved and living spiritually and living for the Lord, well, they've got the joys of the Lord. But the person who's saved but carnal can't really enjoy the world because they know what's wrong. They don't feel very good about that. The Holy Spirit keeps convicting about it. And they can't really enjoy the things of God. They're the most miserable people on the planet. You've got to get, get, you, you, you rise above just carnal, low-level Christian living and come to the place where you begin to live life from heaven's perspective because here's the thing you know what you've got a lot of years left maybe only a few short years in this life but you know what you're going to be living 10 million years from now 
child of God. And God wants you to actually get perspective on what you're going through right now uh, because he's got plans. But he wants you to get perspective on it. He wants you to live with a heavenly perspective. Now let me help you with that. Uh, some thoughts for you to keep in mind. This is sent from the Lord. Right? Sorry, let me... This is sent from the Lord. This problem in your life today is sent from the Lord. Now... Look at Matthew 10, 29. It's on the screen there for you. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Right? Now, how much time does it take to number the hairs on your head? That's pretty detailed and intimate knowledge of you, isn't it? Now, for some of you, I realize it doesn't take very long to count them, but for others of you, it takes quite a while uh, to count the hairs on your head. But nonetheless, it's an intimate knowledge of you, isn't it? You know, and you brushed your hair this morning, so you lost a few. So they had to do a recount. They had to do a stock take uh, on the hairs on your head. So, so God had to count them again. Now, do you think he has angels going out all over the world like Santa Claus, counting people's hair on the head? No, he just knows. He knows you that intimately. He knows things about you you don't know yourself. He knows what's happening to you right now and he knows what's going to happen to you 10 years from now. He knows all of that. He's very much involved in the intimate details of our lives. We do not serve a God who's removed from us. We serve a God who's intimately involved in the detail of our lives. He knows everything about us. All right? So you've got a problem in your life that's hard for you. That's difficult. That maybe causes you to cry when you're on your own. You've got a problem in your life that cuts deep. You've got a problem that that's really an issue. Do you think it happened without God? Do you think for a moment that God was unaware of it? Do you think he was powerless to stop it? No. You say, well, well, I brought it on myself. Okay, you see, you brought it on yourself. I understand that, and it's good for you to face that and accept that. But, but do you think that God was powerless to stop that from happening in your life? There's, there's a lot of things that you could have brought on yourself that you didn't bring on yourself because they didn't happen. But, you know, you did wrong anyway. It just didn't come down on you. And, and God let this thing come down on you. Yep. Do you think he could have stopped that, or do you think he's involved in it? Now, we're not apportioning blame here for everything that happens in your life, but what we're saying is this, that nothing happens in your life apart from God. So the problem you're facing today, he knows about, he's intimately involved in, and he has a plan for that problem. He has something he wants to accomplish with that problem. <clears throat> Secondly, this is necessary for my spiritual growth. Now, that's kind of hard to take, isn't it? Some of you say, well, if that's necessary for my spiritual growth, I'm happy the way I am. I don't think I want to grow anymore, right? Uh, he didn't ask your permission, by the way. He knows what it takes, right? John 15, verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And the next part is the part we're looking at. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So here's the thing that happens in your life. You know, listen, you're doing well. You're walking with God and you're doing the best you can and you're, you're living and you're growing and you think, you know what? I'm really doing good. I'm expecting God to bless me. And whammo! A problem comes into your life. And you say, where did that come from? I thought I was on good terms with God. Well, what's God doing? 
Well, what he's doing is he's pruning you so that you'll bring forth more fruit. You know, uh, here's what God, I think happens. God looks in our hearts. God sees the growth in faith in our heart. And God said, okay, you know what? I'm going to help you grow more in faith. Now, if he asked you, you'd say, no, 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 I'm fine. But no, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you grow more in faith. So he brings something into your life to help you grow in faith. Right? So you got Abraham. <clears throat> Here's Abraham. And Abraham, we, we don't know much about Abraham's uh, life before uh, we meet him in scriptures. But there must have been faith there. But it got God's attention and God said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to do something with this guy. All right, Abraham, you leave here and... Um, <clears throat> Go into a land that I'm going to show. I'm going to make you as the, uh, you, 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 your, your children as the stars in the heaven for number and as the sand of the seaside. Listen, uh, I'm going to make you a multitude, Abraham. And Abraham says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And he steps out in faith and does it. So he's got faith when he steps out. And then God says, oh, yeah, I'm going to help you grow, though. I'm going to make you wait 25 years. Now, so Abraham didn't know that when he started off. But you know what? Both Abraham and Sarah shed many tears over a 25-year period. Maybe from different angles, but they shed many tears waiting on God to actually do what he said he would do. And what was it about? It was about growing Abraham. Okay, so finally Isaac is born, and Isaac is laughter. He's the joy of their hearts, and so on. And God lets him grow, and Abraham loves him. And one morning God comes and says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom thou lovest. And I want you to offer him a sacrifice to me on a mountain that I will show you of. And you know what? There's another test of faith. Will Abraham obey God? Does he trust God? Will it, and, and he does. And he grows in faith. And you see, what God is doing is, here's a man, not a perfect man, but a man who's doing God's will, a man who has faith. And what's God doing? God's taking and building him piece by piece and step by step. Now, that's exactly what God does in you, for you and I. He takes and he builds us. He takes and he builds and he continues to work in our lives. And he continues to deal with us. And sometimes it's painful, but you know what? It's necessary. You see, God's not happy to make you comfortable. God wants to give you rewards in eternity. And so he's going to take and he's going to work in your life. And he's going to dig deep and he's going to cut deep sometimes. You know, when you prune something, typically you prune it back way beyond where you think it's possible for it to grow again. You, know, you look at a flourishing rose bush, and then you prune it, and listen, you have to have faith to believe it's ever going to grow again. Because there's nothing left of it, almost. That's what God does in our lives. He prunes us back. Now, don't lose heart. Don't come to the place where you think, oh, you know what, this is not fair. <clears throat> don't become a victim. No, 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 my, my father's pruning me back. I'll grow again. Faith says you grow again. Faith says that, 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 that he will do a greater work yet. But you've got to understand that it's necessary for your spiritual growth. <clears throat> Joy is a deep satisfaction that comes from knowing that God is in control even when my circumstances seem to be out of control. Joy comes in my life and I come to the place where <clears throat> I understand that God is in control even though it looks like it's impossible. But, but you know what can happen in those times? Oh, when sorrow comes, we can get very selfish, can't we? <clears throat> um, uh, Alexander McLaren says this. He said, There are many of us who make some disappointment, some loss, some grief, 
the excuse for shirking plain duty. There is nothing more selfish than sorrow, and there is nothing more absorbing unless we guard against its tendency to monopolize. You know, when sorrow comes into our lives, we can get totally focused on ourselves, can't we? Look at my problem, look at my issue, my difficulty. I mean, don't you understand? And we get frustrated with people because nobody understands how bad we're feeling at the time. You know, and we get totally focused on ourselves and we miss it. We've got to guard against that. You see, <clears throat> sorrow is going to come into your life, but it's going to come into your life because God brings it into your life and it's necessary for your spiritual growth. It is necessary. God brings it into your life because it's necessary. Now listen, there may be a grieving process involved. You may grieve and you know, nobody's going to condemn you for grieving. But I've seen people stay in the grief park themselves in the grief and let the sorrow become something that monopolizes their lives and takes them over and they live in it. No, you're not supposed to live like that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Let me give you some help <clears throat> with what you do when sorrow comes to call. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, remind yourself of the promises of God. <clears throat> there are wonderful promises in the book if you'll go to them. And they are real and true. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together to good, to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What does that mean? God's working this out for good. But it's my fault. I brought it in. God's still working it out for good. All things work together for good. God's working it out for good. You know, I am a person of destiny. I am a person on purpose because God, and so are you as his child. He's working things out for good in your life. Got a good plan for your life. <clears throat> Look at this. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 13.5, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Don't we sometimes feel like we've left, been left and forsaken? I, I always think of the um, disciples when I think of, of this first. They, they were in the storm, uh, the first storm, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they were terrified, and, and they got panicked, and, and they woke him up, and they told him they're all going to drown, and, and Jesus stood up and said, Peace be still, and calm the storm, and everybody went, Wow, he's amazing. Right? And they learned this lesson of faith. They learned if Jesus is in the boat, no storm can sink here safe enough. Well, Luke chapter 6, or <clears throat> Mark chapter 6, not sure which it is, he sends them out into the sea. And he stays behind. Now, if I was them, I'd have been saying, why aren't you coming with us? Come on, get in the boat. <clears throat> you know, we, we want you with us. You know, we're not afraid of any storms when you're, when you're around. But now he sends them out in the boat, and they go out in the boat, and another storm comes. And they feel, oh no. He's not with us now. He doesn't even know where we are. We're going through this storm, storm all by ourselves. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus is on the beach looking at them. He sees them toiling and rowing. And then he walks and meets them in the water, and he calms the storm again. <clears throat> Peter, Peter walks in the water, and he calms the storm again. But, but here's the thought. You know, when you feel like you're forsaken in the problem, you're not. But he's not doing anything. Yes, he is. He's just not doing what you particularly want him to do. But he's doing something. He's got a plan. He's pruning. He's working. He's changing you. So remind yourself of the promises of God. God God's involved in this. Secondly, give thanks. Now, I, I, I realize when you face a trial, the last thing you, you humanly want to do is to give thanks. Now, right? That doesn't, you, know, you, you don't just kind of uh, come out of it all thankful. But you need to practice being thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, that th this is the will of God thing is pretty important. God's will for your life is that you give thanks in everything. 
God's will for your life is that you give thanks in and for the problems. Now, you can't give thanks in and for the problems if you're a victim. If you're crying because it's not fair. Because this, this, this hurts and it's painful and it's not fair. And why did God let this happen to me? And why You can't give thanks. You've got to rise above that. You've got to say, listen, you can give thanks with tears. But you give thanks. Let me ask you, have you thanked God for the problem you're facing right now? Have you thanked him for it? Have you said, God, thank you for bringing this into my life? I don't like it, Lord, but I know you wouldn't have brought it in unless I needed it. Have you given thanks for the problem that you're facing right now? You know, you might find that something amazing happens when you do. Now, don't, 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 don't think I'm saying, you know, what your problem is going to get fixed because you give thanks for it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you begin to give thanks, you get on the right side of God and the issue, and you know what? The pain is not like it was. But give thanks. <clears throat> Thirdly, refuse to give in to bitterness and despair. Now, there is a perverseness in us that wants to, be, wants to enjoy our bitterness. Somehow, we want to tell people about the stories of somebody done me wrong and how they hurt me and all the rest of it. And we, want to kind of, we, want to lay, we want to lay all our story about how somebody did me wrong and all, all, all the pain they caused me. I want them to say, there, there, you poor thing, you. I can't believe how badly you're being treated. It's not fair. But you know, that doesn't do you a blessed bit of good. That just makes you a victim. You don't need to trot out your stories of bitterness to someone. You need to overcome bitterness. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it away. You don't have the right to think that way. You don't have the right to dwell on those things that have made you bitter. You may have it all written down in a book somewhere. Go and get rid of the book and burn it. You don't have the right to dwell on the bitterness, on the things uh, that have <coughs> Don't give in to it. When you give in to bitterness, you know what? It's, it's a downward spiral, isn't it? It just goes down and down. It doesn't come up again. It just goes down and down. And the further you go down, the, 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 the more it takes for you to get out of it again. Don't give in to bitterness and go, and go down with it. Don't go down with bitterness and despair. Right? <coughs> Choose to believe in God. You know, I always think of Job. Job stands there uh, that day. He's lost everything. And he says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was choosing to believe in God. Later on he's going to say, when his friends even have turned against him, and he's going to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I believe in him no matter what happens. Choose to believe in God. You know what? It's a terrible world when you don't believe in God. And there's Christian atheism. Christian atheism is, yeah, when you believe you're saved, you're born again, you're going to heaven. But you know what? In the situation you're in, there's no God. There's no God. <clears throat> Listen, choose to believe in God. If God's in the situation, you know what? There's great hope. And if God's not in the situation, there's very little hope in it at all. Right? <clears throat> so choose to believe in God. Uh, and then make up your mind to go on with life. You know what happens even to believers? The problems keep rolling in and rolling in, and we get tired, and we get weary, and we begin to think, I'd be better off out of this world. And then we start telling our lie, this lie, everybody else would be better off out of this world. And, and you know what? Nobody's ever committed suicide, and everybody said, you know what? We're all better off without them. That one just doesn't happen. That's not the issue. When somebody commits suicide, a lot of people get cut and get cut deeply. 
But when you let yourself go down that road and down that thinking, you come to despair and you, you know, and you tell yourself all those lies and the enemy will come to the party. He'll come to your pity party. He'll tell you all the lies too. He'll, he'll flame them up for you. you know? Listen, decide, no matter what grief I'm going through, I'm going to go on. It will get better. It will get better. <clears throat> Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. They, they, they all get better. They all move on. It doesn't matter what it is. It all moves on. Listen, make up your mind that you're going to go on with life no matter what the problems are. Don't let them bring you down and, <clears throat> uh, and take you down. <clears throat> and, and here's the reason. Because the trials produce perseverance. And you say, well, <clears throat> I, I don't need perseverance. I'll be okay without it. No, you won't. You can't really do anything in life without perseverance. You know that? You, you, you can't do anything. Perseverance <clears throat> is the ability to stick to it in hard times. Now, we've shown before there's going to be hard times. And if you can't stick through it in hard times, you know what's going to happen? You're going to give up. And your life's going to wash out. And <clears throat> you're going to lose the value that you could have in your life and in eternity. You know, uh, you, you've got to stick to it in hard times. The measure of a man is what it takes to stop him. What does it take to stop you? Some of you, it doesn't take very much to stop you. You know why? Because you don't have much perseverance. You don't stick with it. Um, <clears throat> our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. You know who said that? Thomas Edison. They say he tried 10,000 times to create a light bulb. And he failed in all but one time. And you know what? I'm glad he kept going, aren't you? I mean, I think tilly lamps and all the rest, the oil lamps are very romantic and all the rest of it, but you know what? I wouldn't like to have to live with that kind of light. Uh, <clears throat> but <clears throat> but that, that's what he said. he said. He said this. He said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> you know, but the most important thing is to keep trying. You know what? <clears throat> Brilliance is not going to carry you through life. It just won't. The, 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 the world is littered with brilliant failures. But if you can persevere, if you can hang tough in the hard times, you can actually achieve things. Now when it comes to your spiritual life, <clears throat> you getting a right attitude towards problems and difficulties and trials in your life is a key to you persevering and to you being successful. You see, <clears throat> God has a plan uh, for your life. Part of that plan is going to be the trials and the difficulties that you're going through and he plans to work them out and bring you to a place where they're actually helpful to you. So he wants you to persevere. And then the object of your trials is spiritual maturity. <clears throat> and spiritual maturity <clears throat> Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, what God's plan for your life is, His plan is to, to, to make you like Jesus. He wants to make you spiritually mature. Now, you know what? That's sweet. The life of Jesus is the sweetest thing I've ever encountered. I want as much of it as it's possible for me to have. I want to be as like Jesus as it is possible. I don't think that's a burden, do you? You know, <clears throat> It's not kind of, you know, you might say, well, I don't want to be so holy that nobody's interested in knowing me. But does anybody, any believer say, well, I don't, I don't want to be so like Jesus that, you know, I'm odd. You know, no, 
I want to be like Jesus as much as it's possible to be. I want to be like Jesus because it's the right thing to be. But you know what? That maturity carries with it an ease of relationship with God. There's a sweetness in that relationship. Can you help me back there, Josh? Hang on, back. Thanks. <clears throat> Maturity carries with an ease of relationship with God. You have seen that He works, and you know He will take care of you. God takes care of you. Life becomes sweet as you become like Jesus. Now, listen. God's plan is for eternity. God is going to bring trials in your lifetime. Right? But understand this. When you accept the trials with joy and grow, it gets sweet. The trials don't go away, but you have more of God in your life, and it gets sweet. You see, joy is not the absence of trials. Joy really, if we could pare it all down, is the presence of God. When I have Him... I have joy. And that's what God is working towards in your life. He's working towards a place where he can actually help you to have joy, real joy. Not a problem-free life, but joy in spite of the problems. A life you wouldn't surrender, a life you wouldn't exchange for anything because you have him in your life. <clears throat> Conclusion then. <clears throat> you can't know what trials are coming your way. I'm kind of glad I don't know. Uh, I'm sure you are too. I'm glad I don't know what problems are coming my way. <clears throat> I just don't want to know all the things that are coming. You can't know. You can be sure that they are from Him for your good and His glory. Your trials are from Him for your good and His glory. Now, <clears throat> that's not, <clears throat> you know, theoretical, theological education. You know, what, what I mean by that is that someday, somewhere down the road, that might apply to me. That applies right now to what you're going through right now. That applies right here today to what you're actually going through. <clears throat> uh, your trials are from God and they are for your good and His glory. And that makes them different. That makes us, It's not something that you, don't, you, you just need to get out of. You just need to get over this. You need to get, get beyond this. No, 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 no. It's a friend. It's a friend. Your difficulty, your problem right now is a friend. God's got a plan for it in your life. It's something to help you. And so the final conclusion then is pray and stay. Don't run. Don't flee. You see, it says let patience have its perfect work, do its perfect work. God wants to do a perfect work in you and he wants to grow you and that's the focus not getting you out of the hot spot. He wants to take that and he wants to deal in your life with it and bring you through. Because when we get focused on, I just want out of this. The only good thing God can do is get me out of this. When is God going to get me out of this? We got our focus on the wrong thing. You see, when we stay and pray, we get to see what God is doing in my life through it. And I've had many trials in my life. Most of them, I never want to go back to again. But you know what? There's not a one of them that didn't do me a whole lot of good. I appreciate the good every trial and problem has d done for me. I just don't like the trials. I think that's the way we all are, isn't it? 
I don't like the trials, but I appreciate the good. Now, you know what? On that basis, they've all been my friend. The trials I've got today, my friend. The trials you've got today, your friend. God wants to grow you. You're a person of destiny. He's got a plan. He's got a work that he's doing in your life, and he's brought a problem and an issue into your life because he wants to help you. God is doing a work. He is growing you. Let him have his way. Don't be so anxious to get out of it. Be more anxious to get close to him and to see what he's doing in your life. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for its blessing in our lives. Oh, Lord, we do plead with you. Would you take each heart here and would you help us, Lord, to walk with you and to know your blessing and to know your hand and your presence. Oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you make the message real to our hearts? Lord, may it not be that we are victims, but may we be learners as we look to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you to respond to God. You're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I'm not responding right to the trials. But God has shown me something, and by his grace from now on, I plan to respond in a better way. I plan to respond as though they're from him. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. See those hands. Amen. Let me ask you one other question before we close. You're here this morning, and you're not saved. You don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And we've not particularly talked about that this morning, but you know, the Spirit of God isn't, isn't dependent upon the words of a man. But you understand that you're a sinner, and you understand that you need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. He came from heaven to die and pay the price for your sins. And this morning you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get saved. Just pray for me, Pastor. I need to get saved. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Now, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. And, oh, Lord, we do pray, Lord, for those that have purpose in their hearts to respond a different way. Blessed Spirit of the living God. Would you undertake for each one of them? And would you help them, Lord, and speak loud and clear that they might know you and they might walk with you and know your presence and your power in Jesus' name. Amen.